I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back. Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode is with my friend, Miss Katie Wells of Wellness Mama. Um, she is a best-selling author. She is a radical podcaster, blogger, superstar. Um, she's got one of the most impactful blogs out there in the world of health, wellness, and uh, better living. So really greatly appreciative of her sharing some time with us here on the Align Podcast. This conversation ended up being extra vulnerable for Katie, which I absolutely love when that happens. And um, yeah, we go into all sorts of interesting wormholes, ranging from the way that our thoughts impact our body, our physiology, um, get into dental health, uh, raising children, all sorts of good stuff. So hope you guys love this conversation. And thank you all so much for tuning in to the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. On there, you can start the five-day movement challenge. People have been really loving that. And uh, it's super simple, super fun. Uh, five fundamental movements that everybody ought to be integrating into their daily existence. And it's all right there, all free. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you so much to Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. Four Sigmatic is one of my favorite companies in the realm of medicinal mushrooms. They serve up all the good mushrooms, ranging from reishi to chaga to cordyceps to all the ones, um, forms of chocolate teas, uh, cocos, protein powders. It's really good stuff. I've got like filled with it in my cabinet right now. Um, so recommend checking those guys out. You can get yourself 15% off of your purchase using the Align code. So go to foursigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash Align. Use that little line code for discount on your purchase. Uh, I think we're good. All right, let's get up into the program. Um, thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. I'm going to read a quick one from Beth Kalar on July 7th. That was my birthday, Beth. She says, thanks, exclamation point. I imagine Beth is a female. I really like your honest approach and inquisitive nature. No pretense. I make time to listen to this. Thanks so much for that, Beth. Uh, if you guys leave reviews, I read every freaking one, and I greatly appreciate them. And here we go. Back to the show with. The beautiful, the powerful, Katie Wells. Pow. Align podcast. Our levels are good. We can cool. hear the birds chirping in the background. That's how you know the levels are good. Once you hear birds chirping in the background, then we're clear to go. Awesome. All right, we're in. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I so greatly appreciate um, my getting to know you in the last, where was, what was, we were at PaleoFX. We were at PaleoFX, yeah. Which was a month ago. It was, yeah. And what I found in getting to know you over the last month is, and this seems to be consistent with other people because I've checked (laughs) (laughs) and it's like literally every 30 minutes to an hour of being around you. I feel like I have like a new layer of like, I really appreciate Katie. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well because you have, um, you have a very powerful platform and you've created this empire and you've done like all the work to have this amazing engine machine and it's you seem to maintain your humanity in like a really beautiful way thank you that's a tremendous compliment oh yeah i mean it's cool do you do you ever notice have you noticed your personality or anything shift in the creation of your work over the years yes and i'm trying to undo actually some of the shift um Long story short, I never intended to have a platform. I didn't even know what that was when I started all this. I just got really sick. And my default was research. And so I started researching, trying to get better, and realized the information was not out there in a way that people could find it and read it. I was reading studies. I was reading medical journals. And it was there for me. But I realized there were a lot of people suffering and that were not going to go read PubMed. Hmm. And so 
my background in college was in journalism. And so my default was to research and then to write. And it became an outlet for me. But I also realized like I could provide a resource that would hopefully be useful to someone else in the same situation um, and hopefully help other people avoid the learning curve that I had and a lot of the problems I had. So um, long story short, I never meant to have a platform. And then when the platform started growing, um, I don't know if guys experience this the same way, but like, especially as social media took off and Facebook really took off, um, just the amount of interaction in general that you get. And then the percentage of that, that's negative. I like started very much like building kind of like armor. And so I had to kind of do things to protect my humanity, as you put it, um, because I just felt myself getting so guarded. And that was my default for a lot of years, which is just hide behind research, get really guarded, Hmm. do more research, do more work you know, raise my kids and keep my head in the sand that way. And so, um, so yes and no, I feel like I, it's been a, a very much a journey I'm still on. What was the, what was the illness, sickness challenge? Hashimoto's stuff? and it's still, it's there. It's not a thing that goes away. It's in remission, but, um, it was, it took me years to get diagnosed. I knew with my first baby that something was wrong and had doctors tell me things were fine for years until I actually found a doctor who understood it. Yeah. Um, so it was a long process. What is that from exactly? There can be a lot of causes, and Hashimoto's is interesting because it's autoimmune. So instead of just low thyroid or high thyroid, it can actually fluctuate between the two or be some combination of the two. Um, For me, I think partially what it was is I have always been very type A and driven. And so especially in high school and college, I I had to study constantly. I wanted to get perfect grades. And so I didn't sleep. I was eating cafeteria food, super stressed all the time. And I think if you want to create autoimmune disease, that's a really good way to do it. And I did. Um, and then as I was finishing up college, I one summer to kind of escape a bunch of school stuff I had to do, I signed up with a nonprofit to walk across the country. So we walked from here, from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C., over a period of three months. And we split day shift and night shift. And so a lot of the summer I was walking all night long, like 20 miles and sleeping during the day. And so then I was also eating at night. And like from what I now know about circadian biology and all that, um, that's a really good way to mess up your hormones. Why were and, you walking at night? Well, we just switched. You but, just switched. Okay, um, I got heat stroke the first week. So I ended up being on the night shift quite a bit okay. um, until I got recovered from that. And so I think that just like threw all my hormones for a loop. And then um, relatively soon after college, I got married and had a baby, which is a you know another hormonal challenge. So I think there were a lot of factors that went into it. Um, and then I just kept having babies. Like it was a very busy time of life. So I wasn't dealing with it as efficiently as I would knowing what I know now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also really grateful for that journey because, um, in a sense, I think our wounds make us a warrior, especially if we like embrace the lessons of them. And I realized I wouldn't have been able to connect with this community and meet the people I've met if I hadn't gone through that struggle. So I, I don't at all regret that it took a long time to heal, but it was just a long process. What do you think of autoimmunity and any potential like psychosomatic correlates with it like do you think there's can we think ourselves into our immune system attacking ourselves or does that sound like crazy talk i am coming around more and more to that idea i think there is definitely something to it i think there are definite physiological things going on as well um but i have seen that in people where they're so like it it, maybe it doesn't cause it but it makes it worse they're so caught up in that pattern that it, it seems to perpetuate yeah have you noticed any connection of you thinking or you're feeling emotionally different and the symptoms changing? Interestingly. So in, in the beginning I had to be like pretty careful. Like I was pretty sick for a while. So I was on a really restrictive diet, had like all these lifestyle factors dialed in and was like really neurotic about that. And I kind of thought that was going to be what I had to do forever to keep my levels good and all that. Um, and I realized as I've done more of the work and like actually started shifting emotionally and mentally that I, don't have to do all of that stuff. Yeah. So how do you keep yourself together with five children? Six children. Six. <laughs> you have six children. I have six children. I'm about to have a teenager. <laughs> I wanted to say six. I read actually. So you have a, a person that's less than a year old then? No, I have a three-year-old, but depending on what bio you read, the publisher. Okay, I read a they, bio that said five children. Yeah, the publishers put that out there in a few places incorrectly since then. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I read that. And I was thinking six, but I was like, no, that's not that's possible. That's too crazy. No one would ever <laughs> do that. That's too crazy. <laughs> Who would do that? Who would do that? And to answer all the questions, no <laughs> twins. Yes, I birthed them all. Like, <laughs> no stepchildren. Why? <laughs> <laughs> that's another question I get quite a bit. Um, so I grew up two really intelligent parents who are both deaf legally. And have one brother who's also an introvert. So our house was completely silent. 
and I only had one sibling and we, it was just a different type of family dynamic. Mm. And I, I had friends who had bigger families. Um, my husband came from a bigger family and I knew that how much fun that is for the kids. And so I really wanted that for my kids. I wanted them to have a tribe. I think some of our biggest problems in society are because of isolation and because of loneliness. And so I wanted to like build in the tribe. And so I was like, I'm just going to birth a tribe. That's, that's what I'll do. Wow. I mean, that's, it's very common. Obviously, everyone. No, I mean, in like, in as far as like historical standards go, like it's actually like, yeah, of course. What's having a tribe of eight humans in your home like? (laughs) Chaotic, as you would imagine. (laughs) How do you keep it together? Do you, so you've, you've become somewhat of like a master of of systems. Yeah, that's my default um, by necessity. So when the business stuff started taking off, I had to put a ton of systems in place just to maintain sanity, to keep it running. And of course, if you read all the business books, they give you great advice about systems and KPIs and management and all that. So I did all that and the business was great and it ran and I, there was a team once I learned to let them do stuff. I used to hire people and not let them work because I was a control freak. But once I figured that out on the business, uh, it was great. And at home, I was stressed all the time. And I literally got to a point, um, I think I probably came close to a nervous breakdown. Um, I almost deleted the blog because I realized like I could not handle the amount of stress I was under. And I obviously couldn't, like I was not going to sacrifice my family. So something had to go. And I realized in the moment of that though, like, why is this so stressful? But the business is not like, Oh, maybe because in business I have goals and objectives and KPIs and I'm organized and I run systems and at home I'm managing eight people's lives in my head while cooking three meals a day, doing everything for everybody and being like emotionally worried about everybody's well-being all the time. Mm. So I kind of solved for the variable of reduced stress and put systems in place in home life that taught my kids how to be more self-sufficient and to do things on their own. So I wasn't doing anything for them that they could do themselves. Um, And also just so that when it wasn't the time for something to happen, I wasn't worried about it. So when I wasn't needing to do laundry, I didn't have to think about laundry because I knew when it was going to happen. So I just basically like took the stress variable out and created systems that run. And so even when I'm like now out of town traveling for business, someone else can step into the system and the house still runs. Mm. How does someone like me who has no kids and lives in an apartment in Santa Monica and whatever, my life is vastly <laughs> a little different, a little different. <laughs> um, how does, how do I start to integrate better systems into my existence? You saw I have scribbles all over the wall. <laughs> That's actually a great system if it works for you. I think the That's creativity something. is important. Um, <laughs> There's a schedule in there too. Oh, see, you're already I have it broken it. down to today, this week, this month, and then the next few months. There you go. Why? Oh. Okay. So like one principle of batching, I realized like if I could batch things as much as possible um, and then make sure they were scheduled and reliable, then there wasn't any stress in figuring out when they would be. So that whether that was batch cooking, so I like would pre-meal prep for the week or doing laundry in batches or actually now my kids do their own laundry. So I don't really do laundry, but um, mm. just putting timed systems and places for all of the things you like, you know, these things are going to reoccur in your life. You're, you're going to have to do dishes and laundry and make food. So put systems in place that make that easier. How does, how do you actually do you use like an Excel spreadsheet? Do you use like colorful markers on a board or something like that? How do you, s- I did, I had a spreadsheet it? at first. Um, and probably much like you with the movement side, like at first I had to like be very intentional. Like you told me all these things. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hinge at the hips. I'm cool. going to like squat down. Got to hang. I'm going to yeah, hang. You I had to be the crowd. really intentional about that. But then at some point it's going to become like second nature. Oh. So I had to do spreadsheets at first and then now it's, it's just integrated. It's very second nature, but okay. they're still there. So someone else can come do them. What stumbling blocks you see with other people's systems? Hmm. I think a lot of people don't even have systems. I think, (laughs) I think in general in life, um, people are not, and I say this pointing as many fingers as myself as intentional a lot of the time as they should be in general. And especially ironically with parenting, I see that a lot. Like we have these kids who are like the most important thing in our lives. And most of the time we're just putting out fires and living in the chaos day to day. Um, like I know speaking for me in the beginning, I didn't, I wasn't thinking long-term, like if this was a business, I'd have a 10 year plan and a 20 year plan. And I'd have broken down goals to get there of what needed to be executed, what skills need to happen. And I realized I wasn't doing that with my kids, which was a huge disservice to them. I just wasn't being intentional. And so, um, part of that mental shift of just really leaning in and becoming intentional in my life of, um, you know, what are the things that I want to impart to my kids? What do I want them to know to be good humans, not just successful, but also good humans. And then how do I teach them that in baby steps? And so I think with any system, it's starting with just being intentional and then building that around your own life and your own chaos. What are the things that you want to instill in your kids? 
We have a list. We actually have a family manifesto. <laughs> I figured. And we have a, a motto too. <laughs> so our motto is, um, you were born to do hard things or you were made to do hard things. Yeah. And uh, that's actually backfired on me a few times because I've been saying that to them for so long. And uh, on a family trip, we went to a blue hole. It was like a 30 foot jump into 50 something degree water. And I was like, oh, you guys have fun. And they're like, mom, you were made to do hard things. And they would not let me not jump. Nice. That's good. Like, oh man. So they, they get me out of my comfort zone too. Um, but things like entrepreneurship is a tremendous value for me. And I wanted to pass that on to my kids. So as an example, um, we have one who's almost 13 and he will finish his high school curriculum within the next year. And then he'll move into an incubator that we've developed where he'll will help him start a business. And so he has to submit a business plan and he has to run a profitable business for a year before he can drive or have a phone, which is a pretty cool. big motivator for a teenage boy. Um, wow. But I think there's like so many skills built into that with consistency and financial management and understanding processes and showing up every day and doing the hard work and working through failure and risk. Um, that's another one. Like I, as a kid, was terrified of failure. Like I was a kid who if I got a 98 on a test, I was upset because it wasn't right. And that yeah. was something, I don't know how that internalized so young um, that it wasn't okay to fail, but it was not okay to fail to the point that I stressed myself out into autoimmune disease most likely by not failing. Mm. And so in my kids, I really wanted them mm. to have a really high tolerance for failure and even to embrace it because I think in the right mindset, failure is where we learn the most. It's hard, um, but I wanted them to be okay with risk and failure. If you had to, put a finger on something where do you think that the um avoidance of anything less than 100 percent came from probably a combination and i should say my parents were actually amazing parents i don't want to ever you know disparage them, yeah. put guilt on them but um they held us to a really high standard and we we got praised mostly for our achievements and if we did something that was viewed as a failure to them. It was instead of anger, it was this like overarching disappointment. So you like, you talk about posture, like I would see their posture, like, right. And I would just like internalize that as a child. Um, and so I think the combination of those and, and, and so for that reason in my kids, I try to praise effort and, and praise failure and praise asking the hard questions instead of just achievement. Cause I don't want them to internalize it. Like you are only your achievements, but I definitely did. How do you praise your own effort? I'm not good at that. <laughs> We don't talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm still very much like a perfectionist. I'm trying to be in recovery, but I'm still very much a perfectionist. What could you do to praise your effort more or whatever? What's, what do you think are action steps for you to do to treat you like you treat your kids? Damn it, Aaron, with the hard questions again. <laughs> Am I allowed to cuss on you? Yeah, you can cuss all the time. <laughs> um, well, I think it's like where your attention and your focus goes. You know, like I, I definitely still even in the systems of business, I focus on the achievement and the outcome. Yeah. Um, and in business, those are super measurable. So it's easy to do that. Um, I do try to ask, because I ask my kids at dinner a lot, um, like what hard questions did you ask today? What did you fail at today? What are you grateful for today? Things that like shift the mind into those kind of things. And um, I have realized lately, like it's important for me to answer those questions too, not just them. Yeah. So do you ask yourself those questions? those questions I do now and I try to answer them even in front of my kids because that's another thing I'm like they need to see me fail like yeah. I need to be an example of this for them um and even so one thing I'll get vulnerable from it I haven't really talked about this publicly much but um I realized this in the last year it's kind of been a really big year of transition it's like I was trying to impart all these lessons to my kids and I wasn't willing to like to be the example of those lessons mm. um especially like the one about like you always tell your kids you know like certain areas of your body are yours and you can always protect them. And also if anything happens, you can always talk to me about that. And I realized I'm saying this to my kids, like you can always talk about that, but I had sexual trauma in high school and I wasn't talking about it. And not only that, I actually had a platform of women, many of whom one in three have probably been through a similar thing. And I wasn't talking about it and being an example of it being okay to talk about and bringing it out of the shadows in a way that could actually help people. But then I was telling my kids, it's really okay if this ever happens, you couldn't come talk to us or, you know, like you can always open up about things. I'm always here. Um, and so I've tried to actually, that's been my hardest lesson the last couple of years is to like lean into vulnerability. Um, and I'm still not good at it, but, um, to like, Seems just, like you're getting better. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to start having those conversations <laughs> to make it okay to have those conversations, you know? Yeah. So do you talk about the sexual trauma stuff in your own platform? 
I have started to a little bit. Okay. Um, I probably will do a podcast at some point that like actually goes really deep on that. Yeah. Um, I think sexual trauma and for women, miscarriage are two really taboo topics that no one talks about. Do you think it's because maybe it's like embarrassing or like you messed up somehow or something like that? It's like a, a black mark on you if you express it out? I think in both of those in some way. Yeah. And I think in anything, it's it's always a little less scary and easier to like hide it than to have to face it maybe, um, especially in a public way. And I get that. It's not an easy thing. Yeah. Do you feel like that's been a part of, how do you think that's affected your life? Um, it, I, there's layers. Um, and I probably don't even fully know the layers yet. Yeah, um, right. for at first I built walls and thought I was fine. And I thought like, as long as I am strong and tough, like I, I don't need to have emotions. I actually remember right. thinking that like, I don't need to have emotions. I'll just avoid those and just work. <laughs> That'll work for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I feel like it's like since then been layers of an onion. And to be honest, I don't know if there is an inner layer. Maybe this is like a continual journey of life that we're always peeling back the layers of the onion. Um, but I had to get to a point where I could actually feel emotions. And then I had to start to like feel the emotions. And then I got to a point through therapy where I thought I was, I had fully dealt with it and dealt with it. And then things came up where. (laughs) For you, correct. (laughs) Like, shoot. You dealt. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then realized like, no, I think there was still, not even just that. I think there's like a lot of things in childhood we don't realize affect us. Um, but just still like continually trying to peel back those layers. Um, and I wonder if actually part of it for me will be learning to open up through it and hopefully help other people through it. Cause that seems to be, um, I don't know. That seems to be very healing. Yeah. So how does, so what practices have been relevant to peel the layers back for you over the years? Like I said, my default is research. So at first there was a lot of research. Um, It's like feeling empowered. Yeah. You know, feeling like, well, I'm going to take control of this thing. Yeah. Um, So I did a lot of reading and I did like all of the head work I could possibly do. um, And then realized I actually had to do the heart work too. And that I'm still working on. How do you do the heart work? How could you do the heart work? How do you, I mean, I know you, I know that you do and you've done, Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Um, again, layers. Um, so I've done therapy. I found I was actually really, uh, in the beginning, not good at talk therapy because I could figure out how to like game the system and still not have to be emotional. So I'd be like, Oh, okay. Now we're going to go talk about my inner child and I know how to yep. like say the right things. Right. Um, and I did, I've done versions of, uh, is it EMDR, whatever is the like, <laughs> can't even remember the name of it right now, yeah, the letters, yeah. um, which was a little bit helpful. Um, and then that comes kind of from there, some alternative modalities that I've never really talked about um, that seemed helpful as well. Like what? <laughs> All the vulnerable questions. Um, this is something I have not talked about ever publicly with my audience. Um, I really delved into the world of like alternative states of consciousness through psychedelics, through different things. Let me tell you, I truly never talked about this on the podcast. Um, This is a very common conversation here. So the people, no, the people listening to this, Okay. this is like something that's, yeah, very, this isn't like, people are like, oh, great. Yeah, (laughs) no, yes, true. (laughs) They're on on your team. If anyone (laughs) of my audience is listening, they might be surprised. Yeah. Um, Because I just realized I was in a sense, my own enemy, I could always mentally overpower having to deal with the emotions. Like, like I told you, I hide behind my mind. So I could always reason my way out of having to actually face it unless there was something bigger than me Yeah. that kind of took over for a while, which was super scary. And the first time I freaked out yep. because it was, I didn't like that feeling of not being in control similar to when I was hanging upside down, literally one foot off the ground and freaking out earlier. Yeah, we did some macro <laughs> yoga earlier. So how long did it take you to um, recuperate from the freak out? Oh, I didn't do it again for two years. What about during the actual the actual experience? Was it the whole time it was a freak oh, out? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and so yeah. I was like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. yeah. So what did you chalk it up to afterwards? What do you mean? What was the value of that? Or was it was it a bad experience? Or was it a... It was objectively a pretty bad experience, but I, my mindset was not good going into it. Yeah. Um, I was scared, and I think fear in that kind of environment is not a good way to go into it. I don't think fear is a good environment for anything. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as anything started feeling uncomfortable, or especially as soon as I felt the least bit out of control, that's my trigger. Yeah, you want to grab it. Exactly. You want to like wrestle the mushroom or whatever, whatever it is. Exactly. That just makes things way worse. Yeah. 
So, and you went back and tried again? Not for a couple of years, but then eventually, yes, in smaller doses. Um, yeah. And worked up and like maintained control mostly for a while. And yeah. How was the smaller doses? What was it? Did it feel, what did it feel like? A lot better. I realized everyone says it, but it was so true with the environment and set and setting set and all setting, that. Yeah. And so the first time was not in a safe environment also. Right. And then after that, I would be like either alone or in nature with like someone I trusted and dark and quiet and like music. And cool. I was like, if I, maybe if I like improve the variables, then it'll be more space for the inner experience. Yeah. Yeah. My, my feeling is that our body's internal intelligence knows exactly what to do. And we get in the way of ourselves through all of the different programs that we run. You know, it's like kind of like the, the mom pushing the shopping cart around and the little kid has like a little artificial wheel <laughs> and they're like turning it and, you know, beep with a little horn and all that stuff. Meanwhile, mom is just pushing the cart around like, you know, doing her business. And I think that people, that's not my analogy, by the way, but I think that people do that. You know, we think that we have control, but you're just the little kid in the shopping cart. You know, and sometimes when you do something like maybe enter into a relationship that pushes your buttons or, you know, you go on a trip, be it like a physical trip or a psychedelic trip or whatever it may be, you know, you try turning the wheel like the mm -hmm. little kid was and mom's like, no, we don't, we don't turn down that lane. You're like, no, <laughs> <laughs> but if you can give into that, it's like, like, I think that the mom knows how to take care of you. And I think that your deeper internal intelligence does know what to do. It just almost needs the kid to like shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so those experiences I think can be helpful. Do you do like meditation and stuff? Uh, I, yes and no. I, it took a while to figure out what was going to work for me when it came to meditation. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, I thought, you know, your mind's supposed to be quiet. My mind is never totally quiet. Yeah. Um, for me, maybe for you too, like the, the cold water is my meditation. Mm -hmm. Like that I can instantly center, like focus on one thing, breathe, like all those things fall into place in the cold. Yeah. So what's inspiring for you these days? Well, I have a new project of, we're launching a new company of CPG products. So cool. like, again, business, um, but it's inspiring. It's fun. It's a new challenge. And I feel like we're actually um, bringing products that will really change the industry. Cool. Yeah. What, are the, what are the products? We're launching with toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, dry shampoo. So things that moms very much use. It's a big deal. Yeah. Because of all the bullshit in the products that we're using and how that affects our, our hormone levels. And the, can you talk about that a little bit of like what's... You know, we, we just, on your podcast, we talked about, um, you know, how our environment forms us, you know, and uh, from a movement perspective, obviously environment forms like the shape of your body, but I don't think we think about the colognes that we're wearing and the deodorants that we're wearing and the toothpaste that we put onto our bodies and the air that we're breathing. I'd imagine, is that kind of like what the intentions of the, of the products are? That would be Absolutely, my guess. Absolutely. Cause uh, probably most of your listeners already know, but so much of what we put on our skin or in our environment, we absorb into the body and the skin is an organ yeah. and a lot of things can cross through that. So the premise kind of being rather than just let's avoid putting bad stuff on our skin. What if we actually make it of course safe and non-toxic, but also put good stuff on our skin yeah. or in our mouth or in our hair. Cool. So like put the things that help your hair grow and be shiny in your hair and like, but in a completely natural way. And I feel also like, um, those were like the really tough challenges that I wanted to tackle first because I have friends who do everything else natural. They'll eat organic and they do everything in their environment well and they still use like Colgate toothpaste and Pantene because they work. Yeah. And so I figured if we can tackle those and create ones that work really, really well but that are truly safe and natural and good for the body, then we've built trust and we've provided something that's truly helping someone's life. Yeah. What are some of the standout, what is it? What's the term? Is it xenoestrogen a relevant term in that world? A, mm -hmm. lot, a lot of the stuff that we put onto our bodies converts usable testosterone into estrogen as an example for like bros that are listening. Um, is there some other standout things that are, are relevant that, you know, that's inside of products that's affecting us in ways that we might not want them to? Yeah. There's a laundry list and, uh, environmental working group they have a skin deep database that you can put any of your products in and see where they fall but in general there's the whole range of endocrine disruptors like plastic chemicals are a tremendous problem in general that's widespread knowledge at this point yeah. but to the point of testosterone um, I think the latest I saw was that a lot of men today have a third of the testosterone of their grandfathers at the same age and women too yeah. and that's a big deal and we've seen that within the span of less than one generation you know so like this is a bit of really drastic change. I think there's a lot of factors, but I do think the amount of things we're putting on our body really comes into play. What are the standout products? Not the, the name of the brands, but is deodorant, I mean, I guess just think about anything that you're putting into your body, but 
toothpaste, deodorant, perfume, cologne? Like what's, what should people be thinking about with that? Yeah, I think we're going to, in the next few years, see a lot about how fragrances largely can be like secondhand smoke as far as the damage they do to the body yeah. uh, and the chemicals in them. And because they're often in an alcohol base, they cross both into the lungs and the skin very quickly. Mm. So fragrances are a big one. Um, and, and those are not just in our personal care products. Those are in laundry detergent. Like the reason laundry smells good is because they've put these really long lasting fragrance molecules in there that attach to your clothes and then you're inhaling them all day long. Mm. And so you're getting constant both skin and lung exposure. And you've probably read that indoor air is almost always more polluted than outdoor air now. That's why we're sitting outside. Why we're sitting outside. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, like, I feel like you just educated my audience on the great, how movement is so much important part of your lifestyle and, and, yeah. and your environment. And I talk so much more about like the home and what you're exposing yourself to, because there's just, um, the average baby is born with over 200 chemicals already in their blood supply. Mm. And they're in a relatively protected environment with the placenta. And so th this is not a problem that's going away. And there's over 90,000 chemicals used in personal care and cleaning products, of which only a tiny percentage are actually tested for safety. How do we get them out of our bodies? Once, once you've removed them from your environment? Yeah. yeah. Largely, the body is pretty good at that on its own. I feel like usually we just get out of the body's way, but things like saunas are amazing for that. Um, even just hydration, like the body will flush eventually. Um, it, removing the exposure is one of the bigger things, unless there's really a, an acute toxic exposure. So is there for, so we're probably exposed to stuff throughout the day just by like walking down the street and like, you know, exhaust fumes coming out of cars and all that stuff. So you think saunas, is there anything else that you'd recommend as far as like purging the stuff out exercise exercise anything that makes you sweat anything that will enhance normal detox pathways i'm not a fan of like all these crazy cleanses and detoxes that are can be pretty harsh on the body i think yeah. increase sweat increase digestion and excretion increase urination by hydration like if you just support the body and what it already knows how to do it's going to effectively get rid of that stuff yeah and so what's the what's inspiring for you outside of business kind of this um kind of couple year journey I've been on that I also don't talk about very publicly. Um, you're good with all the deep questions. Okay. <laughs> so I realized at some point as, a, as an adult that I had come into adulthood with a lot of scripts pre-written for me and a lot of things that I felt like were pretty easy in black and white and that I didn't want to question. And at some point I realized the fact that I don't want to question these means that I should, because if I'm right, then questioning them is only going to actually strengthen my viewpoint and give me empathy for people who don't share it, like I'll understand them more. Yep. And so I made a spreadsheet of all the things that I thought I believed. And I went by and systematically kind of challenged myself on purpose by reading like at least five books on an alternate viewpoint. Um, and I was left with a lot fewer things that I believe, but I feel like I hope a lot more empathy and love for people, uh, especially people who don't necessarily believe the same things I do. I think, um, so it's, it's just been a very interesting couple year journey. What that. was the hardest thing to, to shake of the things that you, you think you believe? Well, it's easier probably to say the things that I know, I would still say I know to believe. Um, one being that I feel like we are all connected in some way through some kind of higher thing. Um, and also that kindness and loving others is our highest calling. And so everything kind of starts from there. Whereas my previous paradigm maybe started more with rules and, you know, black and white, like that was an easier I could follow the rules. I could get a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the, with kindness and loving others, what is the kindest way to love oneself? Damn it. What the hard <laughs> questions, Aaron. <laughs> um, I feel like I should ask you that question. I'm still trying what? to figure it out. No. I can't ask you it's questions not about on your own podcast. It's not about me. Um, <laughs> I'm still working on it. I think in general, women maybe have a harder time of this. I don't know. I feel like we're just, especially once we're moms, we're built in nurturers. Yeah. So it, like we use the leftover bandwidth to try to figure out how to take care of ourselves or love ourselves and not very well a lot of times. So how do we change it? That is the million dollar question. Um, yeah. I don't know. To be honest, I'm actually still really working on that. It's like, that's truly what's inspiring, cool. but both a journey for me right now. Mm. How does it make you feel talking about it? Kind of like after body work, a little bit like <laughs> <laughs> a little shaky, like this is hard. That's great. <sighs> yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, um, 
like we were joking before, like if you don't feel like you're going to throw up in your mouth or you feel like you're going to have like a panic attack, like at least call it every two weeks, <laughs> you're probably not, you're probably not on point. You're probably like, I think everybody has shit to unwind, you know? And so if you are the person, like typically when I meet people that really think they have their stuff together, I'm usually the most suspect of them compared to the person that comes in with a, la- a laundry list of awareness of all these things that are going on quite often that person's like damn like you're actually pretty well put together you know you just can witness all this all these different little like micro minutiae but you know the people that are just kind of numb to what's going on that i think is the most dangerous position to be in you know and it's we end up i wonder why that is that we kind of fear telling people the truth of what's going on inside. Why do you think? In general, maybe, uh, I mean, I'm coming also from this lens of like the social media world, but um, anytime you let the armor down or like you show them what's actually going on on the inside, I think there's a higher potential to be hurt, but also you can't truly be loved or seen unless you do that and so it's this very like tough balancing act to figure out maybe yeah um i I know like in social media people have an amazing knack for finding like your deepest insecurities and then like poking those right yeah maybe that's the point of it oh gosh yeah like as far as like what's the benefit of this how often do you think the pokes that you get are accurate versus total bullshit I think there's always an element of truth. I think there's also often an element of pain. Yeah. Um, so I've tried to like, I've had to learn that lesson over the years too, of realizing sometimes, and I've been that earlier in life, like the person who comes at you with the most anger is often the most hurt. And so totally. responding in anger and hurt is going to do nothing. Plus I a hundred percent believe we can learn something from everyone in every situation. So um, where I used to get much more defensive and like want to jump in and defend myself, I had to start, taking a deep breath and going, actually, like there's an element of truth to this that I can learn from. So thank you for that feedback. Um, and also like just sending back, like realizing they're hurt. Like if my child was hurt, I wouldn't respond in anger, you know, and like yell at them. So the same with anyone I meet online, giving them the same respect of, um, just responding with kindness. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, it's really challenging for me to see someone that's being a jerk to look at them and be like, ah, asshole. Like, it's almost, I can't turn it off. Uh, Like, I almost always see that they are, like, they're hurt somehow. You know, there's some type, like, anytime someone, I, you know, I think there's, like, I have a theory, you know, I think that the pain that someone's experiencing internally, if they create bullshit in the outer world, I think whatever that they're creating that, you know, doesn't seem very tasteful, I think internally it's at least equal that level of pain that's happening inside. Mm. And you know, it's interesting that our tendency is like, I mean, there's lots of people that, you know, within like the, the health or whatever space, <laughs> you know, that it would be very easy to be like, Oh, that person is, you know, but uh, for, in my experience, it's been with a hundred percent consistency. Those people are the most tormented. The people that create the most damage outwardly that you want to shit on internally. That's like, Oh, they're actually like a, a crying child. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and another side effect of like the just rise of social media and the more technological we've gotten as a society, um, besides the obvious, like you're, you, people will treat people in writing online much different than they will treat them in person. Like how yeah. we talked about the words are only such a small part of your interaction, like you said on mine. Yeah. Um, but it, that just continues to escalate. And when we respond in the same way, we escalate the problem. Whereas I feel like one of the things the world needs most right now is examples of people who can say, I actually fundamentally disagree with you yet. I love you and I respect you and let's have a dialogue without, you know, hiding in fear and anger and fighting about this. And like that actually worries me. I don't think we have enough examples of that. And I see the younger generations, especially like really falling into this, like outrage, anger, let's argue about everything when we need more and more examples. And so those of us who are online, we have the ability to be that example and to respond in kindness and love. What you were saying, there's a a quote I've written on my wall around here somewhere, one of these boards. Um, And I said, saying you're sorry doesn't necessarily need to be that you're wrong. It just means that you value the relationship more than anything else. 
You know, I think that that's like a, a like an important thing. It was like sometimes like the the most important thing that you can do is just be the first one to take a hundred percent responsibility for the mm-hmm. whole situation. You know, and that that's like a very contagious thing. You know, when you do like listen, the fact that you and I are in each other's lives, I take a hundred percent responsibility for. <laughs> like I like you're a creation of my whole history and into this moment and you know, I think that the sooner that we can do that, I think that's that's a really Im- important thing. There was something I was excited about saying that I got enamored by that. Oh, well. Well, while you think about it, like, <laughs> um, no, I think there's tremendous value. I think there's freedom in taking extreme ownership yeah. and extreme responsibility. And also, the if anything, the lesson I've learned from, you know, past trauma was that forgiveness is actually at the end of the day nothing to do with the other person i mean it's great to like let them go too but it's that quote you know forgiveness is when you set the prisoner free and realize the prisoner was yourself Mm. yeah 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 what i was gonna say until i got enamored by the by the sorry stuff was um i think people just want to activate you know they want like it's like to feel you know the worst thing that can happen to anyone is nothing at all you know, and so like if like, like the, that feeling of numbness and just ugh, and just disconnect, which like the world that we live in is one where we outsource all the stuff. <laughs> you know, like you could like I mentioned years, like you can sit on a couch, press buttons, and life will come to your face. <laughs> like that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have all this pent up, like getting work done, doing stuff. You know, sex and contact and exercise and eating together and creating and you know, like rah, like there's so much potential in there. And if you don't actually let it out, then I think that you're very likely going to turn into kind of a cunt. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And I think actually, like I would put the need for community up there, like truly with like breathing and food and like, totally. we absolutely have this fundamental need and we're not meeting it in society. And we know like, I, like from the research side, it's actually twice as important as exercise. It's more important than quitting smoking is having actual relationships with people. Yeah. And maybe in today's world, that's one of the hardest aspects of health to actually nail. Yeah. What do you think of the word cunt? It's <laughs> that's interesting. a question I've never gotten. It's before. interesting how we have different like that's a word like you go to australia it's like ah, oh, you can't you know it's like totally common language yeah you know the united states like i say this i say it sometimes as a as a joke just because it does have so much around it and i'm always interested in people's reactions to well, it well it's good because then people emotionally <laughs> engage because either they're like they've worked through and they're fine with it or they're like triggered but then yeah. they're listening to you now yeah that's a good point um i don't know with my kids <laughs> So I was, I was raised very much like you don't cuss period. Um, with my kids, I don't take that approach at all. I just tell them it has to be in context. You have to know, and it can't be like, I, you don't use words as weapons. So if you're going to use it for emphasis or you're going to use it for context or to make a point, that's one thing. I still maybe don't do it when you're two, but, um, you know, like learn the proper context and use them correctly. Yeah. They're powerful. Using profanity, if you know how to use it properly. And you use it in moderation when it's appropriate, then it has more power. Like, I know people who throw it around so much that you're like, it's irrelevant Once at this it point. gets replaced for being, um, that's when it's a real problem. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, that's when it's like, okay, I need to turn my brain off while this person's in the room. Like, I have to <laughs> shift myself over. But I think it's interesting how we do, like, language is a creation. The meaning of language is, is completely, or maybe it's not, but... I think it's completely, it's just made up based off of what we put into it. And it's amazing how, as I'm projecting things out of my face, they're like little codes that are going into your ear holes and you're interpreting the information, you know, but that's all based off of the way that we've, we've created that language and the way that culture perceives it. I wonder if there's any like base layer of sound that has meaning beyond the meaning that we've applied to it as a culture, like ohm for example, or ah, or ooh, or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's This isn't like a question for wellness, mama. This is just, <laughs> a, this is like a, <laughs> a just a random well, story also, I mean, thought. They have measured, whether it be like the great composers, whether it's Mozart, or right. a, like um, choirs that harmonize perfectly. Yeah. Like they have a physiological effect on this. It would make sense that sound does. And you have also the platforms now, people who use various types of sounds that they claim are healing. So I think it's something interesting to like think about. I think there's a bit of a conflation between the two of certain syllables and sounds that literally affect the way that you feel, you know, I think like ma, mom, mammogram, you know, mammary, I guess kind of the same thing. Um, I don't know. There's probably other versions of that, but I, 
my guess, I'm not smart enough to know, but my guess is there's probably some like nurturing connection there to the maw. Is that, bu- is that crazy? It's one of the first sounds kids make. I mean, usually like dad and ma are some of the first ones they make. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Anywho, what's, uh, what's next for you in this, in this two year journey? What do you think the next, next phase is? Two year being since you've started like observing things in a different way. Yeah. I think it's, uh, there'll probably be ways in the future that I haven't talked about or won't talk about quite yet. Um, of getting out of my comfort zone Yeah. and also, uh, just the, the whole system side and the mom side, I felt like that was a really big problem that a lot of women go through. Um, and so I've been just compiling that and I will eventually put that into some form that can, I hope really help people because I think, um, another core belief would be, I think moms are actually the most powerful people on the planet, Mm. not just in purchasing power and the fact that we're raising the next generation. So there's a huge impact, but I think if you want to change the culture, you change the moms. And so I think Mm. if we give women and moms more bandwidth and more margin without being so stressed, I think we'll see really positive changes. That's a pretty cool idea. How do we give them more, more, more bandwidth? There's so much put on women in society in general. I, my take is that um, while it's great that we now have pretty much everything available to us that maybe wasn't at periods in history, the problem was nothing got taken away. So we're still moms. We're still managing the household, managing the children, all of those things, and having a career and doing all these things. And that's just the baseline. Like yeah. That's like a normal day. Um, and so figuring out whether it be systems, whether it be actually like minimalizing and taking, like we minimize our, like Conmary, our house and we, all this, but we don't do that mentally. We don't let go of stuff we don't need mentally. We don't let go of just extra stuff in our life, in our environment, in our, in our, um, schedules that we don't need. And so I see so many women running 12 hours a day from activity to activity to activity with their kids and missing like family time, like sitting down to dinner with your kids. And so I think it's those internal shifts as well of getting back to like our actual source of power and, and letting go of that stress that society's telling us we need to keep. Can you teach people to read faster? And yeah, I taught my kids. So we talked, it was in, in years that we talked about it. So before Katie was reading through the manuscript, that's almost wrapped up by the time this goes out, it'll be off into the publishing world or whatever and you read exceptionally fast like faster than anyone i've ever actually seen in front of me (laughs) 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 so i'm still like figuring it out what is that how does one read fast i developed this goal when i was in middle school um because i wanted to be able to study well and execute at eye level and so i researched all the different methods and there's all those kind of theories of speed reading and none of them truly like worked for me with the following it with your finger or like all of those methods um and there's a validity validity to that like if you're saying the words in your head you're not going to ever be able to read that quickly because your brain's going to slow you down um but I also have a little bit of a photographic memory. So I was able to kind of like learn to take in paragraphs at a time and like take in the entirety of the ideas versus having to assimilate the words and then turn them into an idea in my head. And so then I just practiced that skill a lot. And for a lot of years, I read at least a book a day. So it was a, it was a developed skill that I practiced and cultivated. But now I'm teaching my kids. Um, and there are programs now that kind of train your eyes to do it, like Spreeder and there's a couple others. Um, but for me, it was just that the actual practice of consciously detaching from the words being words and taking in like entire paragraph ideas at a time. And I've been able to maintain retention while doing that. Within that, does it matter if the writing is, if it's put together well versus not like, can you tell if something's like, Oh, like that was like, it wasn't really well thought out the way that they wrote it or is it, yeah, it, it does. You feel like the hangups and the choppiness when it's not well yeah, written. Whereas I'd imagine like, if you're just taking shots of it through that, if it's not smooth and makes sense, Yes, It'll for sure. It'll probably be, be like, <laughs> yeah. Whereas you really then also really like, appreciate the great writers, where you're just like, it's almost like a song. Like it's so beautiful the way they, their ideas flow. It would be almost as though you could like absorb the book. Yeah, sort of. Like if you if if they craft the writing in such a way that it like assimilates, it's just. Whoo, yeah. It's like that. What's that? What's the sushi? Like the belly of the ahi or whatever that you put it on your tongue and it just like it just melts. <laughs> yeah, we don't like have, melts in. I don't think we have that. Where I've had it here. What in is life. that? I don't know which one it is. We don't have good sushi where we are. <laughs> I stopped eating the sushi because the parasites. Mm. It might not be right. I stepped on a lot of things because of some BS that I read in an article. But see, I like sushi. I'll just take the diet to me so after. Just yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. So, what do you think about all that stuff? What do you think nutritionally? You have like, what is your specialty? 
I am largely a You're like a polymath, huh? I, I've never been called that, but like I, I delve into a lot of topics. Um, I, nutrition was a big key for me early on, just as far as getting past all of the fatigue and everything that went with Hashimoto's. Um, it's a fascinating research topic. I would say nutrition and oral health are fun, like pet topics for me to research. Um, and I was much more dogmatic about nutrition earlier in, in this whole process. I think, I think stress is more dangerous. So I think if like your eating style is actually causing you stress, then you need to resolve that regardless of what you actually keep eating. Um, but I think, I mean, there are issues with heavy metals. There are issues with parasites. Um, but also if you freeze the fish, it's not as big of an issue first. Like a lot of places will freeze it for two weeks. That resolves most of the parasite issues. Take some diatomaceous earth after, and you know, take a deep breath. So the freezing, what kills the parasites? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. That's just slow them down. No, like some sources indicate that, and I have heard that even because, so for instance, you're not supposed to eat sushi when you're pregnant Mm, um, for one of those reasons. And because of the bacteria side, um, in Japan, they just, they eat sushi. They just know they're sourcing, but I've had people say, just make sure it's been frozen for two weeks. Huh? So for what it's worth, I don't know. Like I haven't seen any actual studies on that. What do we need to know about dental health? Oh my gosh. So fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) One that's, I think it's interesting that it's associated to your global health. Because if you're, there's stuff festering in your teeth, it's going, it's going through the rest of your system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's so much confusion here. And like that maybe the dental world hasn't fully caught up to, even like we're seeing advances in alternative medicine, um, people are starting to realize there's a whole oral microbiome, like you yeah. indicated. And we know things like when babies get teeth, the first time a tooth breaks their gums, it's actually an immune event because you're having merging of biomes you're having the digestive and the internal microbiome of the body and the oral microbiome and the bacteria from digestion all of that's kind of merging Mm. so they'll sometimes get a fever or like feel immune effects of that it's like a vaccination almost Mm -hmm. i know that's not a we're not talking about that we're not talking about that but (laughs) it's like that yeah to some degree it is and (laughs) a lot of people also don't realize that the periodontal ligament where the teeth are angered is the richest source of stem cells in the body even in adults so it actually is very capable of still moving later in life um so our kids to avoid braces we're doing a dental appliance they sleep with that widens the maxilla which is the top bone of the mouth rather than just moving the teeth around so like rather than moving the trains around on the track we're just making the track bigger so that the train can fall into place yeah the tongue naturally does that it does unless we see a lot of problems with tongue and lip ties in kids these days it's midline defects yeah or breathing through the mouth or breathing through the mouth yeah yeah there's a book sitting over here by george not carlton something something i don't know uh shut your mouth save your life Mm -hmm. it's really cool it was written like i think it was something like 200 years ago and he was uh, spent years, originally I believe he was a lawyer, and then he was also an artist, and he started hanging out with these Native American tribes, and he hung out with a lot. I don't remember how, books sitting right over here, but a lot of people, a lot of different tribes. Um, and that was the one of the main differences that he saw with Native Americans versus white people was white people had this, like, gaping mouth you know and the native american folks they called them they call them black mouths hmm. you know so like pale face or whatever then black mouth and so the black mouth what they believed with that wasn't that they have you know all these these orthodontic issues it was that their or the story they said with it was that the, their mouth is black because of the the lies that come out of their face <laughs> You know, but, but along with that, though, it was, it was as your mouth is, is closed and you're pushing your tongue up to the roof of the mouth, it's literally acts as like a retainer. Right. Pushing out those bones, especially in kids, they're still... There's another book called, I think, Six Foot Tiger, Three Foot Cage that goes really Ooh. deep on just the dental side of that. And um, that ties in with Dr. Weston A. Price and his work on fat-soluble vitamins and vitamin acid. He also observed all these indigenous populations and realized most of it, there was no dental decay. They didn't have orthodontic issues and they had these wide, gorgeous smiles. Yep. And he was able to tie that to vitamin D and some other fat soluble vitamins and lifestyle factors. Mm. And like pulling on meat. Mm-hmm. Chewing actually like chewing, chewing hard. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the food that we eat now, it's all just like, it's I like get baby a, food. Get an air one, get an $18 smoothie, please. <laughs> you know, and you're getting all this sugar that's passing through like your mouth is a first level of digestion. Right. The fibers pre-digested the, everything's. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so instead of you actually going through that process, like we're by, and this is the same thing I've talked earlier of like, we've outsourced all this stuff that makes us healthy. 
you know, including you can look at it from the smoothie that you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like your body is built to, it's, it's the, the foundations of it is built to, to chew and to twist and to Like to know, gnaw on some dried meat that you had to dry to preserve it. Yeah. I did this the other day when I was at a, some, some thing and I, I was pulling on a piece of meat and I was like pulling it out. And I was like, this is completely socially unacceptable. Oh, is it Bel Campo actually? Oh, is it that go. thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like that thing that we do that's actually like serves our biology mm-hmm. is the thing that's completely socially unacceptable. Yeah. Most people eat like <laughs> beef jerky and they're like, oh my gosh, my jaw hurts. Right. <laughs> is there anything else that people can be thinking about for uh, oral health? In general. So it's... Um, the mouth is very much like a living microbiome. It also is like a mineral rich environment. So um, there's a lot of somewhat controversial studies about remineralization. And this is a much yep. more common accepted thing in Europe. And I've interviewed holistic dentists about this, but basically the saliva should be a source of minerals that are constantly interacting with our teeth and through the presence of fat soluble vitamins, they're maintaining your enamel. And most dentists now will admit like cavities can arrest. And if it's not through the enamel, you can like your body can resolve it. Um, but there's some really fascinating research, especially out of Europe, about how if you optimize those factors, if you optimize your minerals and the pH of your mouth and your fat-soluble vitamins, not only can you avoid getting cavities, but you can actually reverse them. And I, I had that happen personally. I can't say that as advice to anyone, um, obviously, but I had several cavities fully reversed when I first started learning about all this. Mm. Yeah, the same, they had the same stuff in the in the shut your mouth, save your life thing, like keeping your mouth closed, allowing that kind of like, he describes as like, thing like an amphibious environment like you wanted to stay moist exactly and then also make sure you're eating enough things that contain micronutrients and minerals and fat soluble vitamins so you have those in your saliva so while your mouth is closed it's rebuilding itself what do you think about raw milk remineralizing cavities you heard of such things i have and all the buzz there seems to be about that it's a source of what weston a price called activator x which we now know is vitamin k2 which is one of the fat soluble vitamins that's really important for oral health and for teeth being white um I, that's something I actually take is vitamin K27 rel- relatively often mm. um, and probiotics because I think those are both really helpful for the, the oral microbiome. But I think um, raw milk is a good source of that if you're not sensitive to dairy. I think a lot of people are today just because of various lifestyle factors. So what's your stand on, on milk? My sense yeah. is if you're, if you're not sensitive individual? to it, it, then awesome. Cool. Yeah, I wonder. That's always such a, it's such a strange... So what do you think about the argument of it comes out of a cow's udders and it's for that cow and our bodies aren't built to break it down. And is there any, any value to that? No, I can definitely see that point of view. I think raw milk has less problematic issues like that because it's less processed in general. Um, I don't think you need it. I don't think we actually need dairy in general. I think you can very much live a very optimized nutritional life without dairy at all. Um, and if you're doing it for the calcium, like eat some sardines instead, but, um, a lot of people really enjoy it and I get it. Cheese is amazing. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if it's part of your overall healthy lifestyle, that's awesome. Right. Cool. And ironically, and I had to eliminate dairy for a long time when I was sick. And so I replaced it with coconut and because I had leaky gut without knowing it with Hashimoto's, I actually became sensitive to coconut. So everything in moderation, eat a varied diet. Are most people's guts a little leaky? Or is that like, you know, like a little leaky or, or is that something, what, what do people need to know about their own gut situation? I think it's one of the big battles of our time, truly, because all the stuff we know about what can cause gut permeability, it's like stress and processed food, pesticides in the diet, like things we're all interacting with constantly. So, yeah. um, I'd say it's less likely that someone has a perfect gut than that they have something going on, right. but it's also all process so you're never i don't think you can actually ever eat a fully perfect optimized diet and if you did you'd only eat it for that day because your gut would change by the next day what are some of the standout things you think for as far as uh, healing repairing people's guts is there anything that stands out for you that's valuable all the stuff that you've already talked about on your podcast of just yeah avoiding the stuff that's truly problematic and letting the body heal yeah cool. yeah um is there anything else we're at the, we're at the end of time is there are anything we? else you want to want to mention to the to the people's I feel like you asked all the hard questions. Good. I don't know. I'm like a, a vulnerability hangover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. I really appreciate you entertaining that. <laughs> there was a couple times where I'd ask a question. Like I was, so, you know, before this conversation, there were certain <laughs> specific buzz topics that I was aware of that were going to be like, well, and so every time I was asking one of those things, you could kind of probably see my eyes kind of like smile a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep, and I was so over thank here you. like, damn it, and I said like 12 times Thank today. you, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate it. It's amazing. Um, where should people go from here? Where do people learn more? What's 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 good? I'm just Wellness Mama everywhere. Wellnessmama.com, same podcast and on social media. Oh, I love it. And then I'm going to, whenever you release yours on your end, I'll release it at the same time. So if people have interest, they can jump over and hear the, the uh, continuation of this. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Over now. Thank you all so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am super excited to present to you guys the Align Method online program, which focuses on unwinding some of the deleterious effects of essentially staring into technology. So forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, and just general collapsy postural patterns. And also gets into a movement guide and how to integrate better movement into your life. Uh, so you can check that out at alignpodcast.com slash align method, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com slash align method, or you can find it at the Instagram page, align podcast in the bio. Thank you to the folks that have grabbed the align band, heavy duty resistance band with a door anchor and a free video guide that goes with it. So you can actually just access the free video guide if you want, uh, just to get resistance band exercise in general. It's at alignband.com, A-L-I-G-N band.com. All right. Thanks guys so much for tuning in. Appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Pow.